0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: deeply appreciative of your phenomenal prayer support. Please keep it up, and thank you. All right, let me give you some of the highlights for the program this evening. As the DOJ's stumbling investigation of Hunter Biden continues, it is revealing a two-tiered system of justice for sure, and House Republicans on both the Judiciary Committee and the Ways and Means Committee have subpoenaed some key officials from both the IRS and the DOJ the Department of Justice just as the whistleblowers highlighted they use numerous So we've got an exciting program lined up for you. A packed one, as always. And let me just remind you, our website is TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to miss any portion of this show or you want to see some archives, you can certainly go there. And once you go, you will discover there's tons of resources there available for you as well. All right, let's jump into the program this evening. Multiple legacy media outlets are reporting on more than 300 pages of emails and documents that were exchanged between the Department of Justice and Hunter Biden's legal team. And as you parse through all the coverage and all the details, there seems to be two major details that emerge. First of all, it's extremely unlikely that Hunter Biden would have faced any charges at all were it not for the recent testimony from requires constant vigilance stand as a witness for the defense and this is the president who pledged to restore norms to the White House. Well joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Tim Walberg, important show coming your way he serves and represents the fifth congressional district of Michigan. Congressman Walberg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you, my
2: friend. Jody, good to be with you as always. And thanks for for hosting this interesting program.
1: Well, it's always great. And, you know, we love to bring people who are on the tip of the means committee and the House Judiciary Committees issued subpoenas to both IRS investigators and DOJ officials regarding a meeting last fall when now special counsel david weiss claimed that he was prevented from bringing charges against hunter biden for tax crimes well, folks that's pretty serious and if true it would directly contradict testimony before congress from u.s attorney general jim uh, uh, merrick garland and as well as some written testimony Uh, from special counsel david weiss so the question at the heart of all of these subpoenas is did the biden administration interfere with the hunter biden investigation well joining me now to discuss this and more is congressman mark alford he represents the fourth congressional district of the great state of missouri congressman alford always great to see you welcome back to washington watch
3: thank you so much and our prayers tonight are with tony's dad
1: Thank you very much for that. Well, listen, these are some very serious questions regarding the integrity of the DOJ's Hunter Biden investigation. Uh, just over overall, give me your thoughts on it.
3: Well, look, Jody, this is a disturbing time in American history. We uh, know too well the persecution that President Trump has been in under for, for many years now. Uh, this is definitely a two-tier justice system that we're living under someone's either lying it's either david weiss or merrick garland in this and and uh, i do believe that jim jordan and jason smith uh, chairman of the ways means committee will get to the bottom of this before it's all over it's sad that they have to subpoena people to come up to tell the truth on capitol hill but that's where we are this collusion uh this um uh, concerted effort i think to deceive the american people and to cover for the biden crime family is disgusting in my opinion the truth will come out
1: well you know i think you bring up a good point it really is disturbing uh, to uh, have to subpoena these people to come tell the truth to begin with but what is even more disturbing is how they are are obstructing congressional investigations i mean several agencies are literally not only uh, causing troubles with the subpoenas but they're obstructing the whole process what do you make of that
3: Well, exactly. This obstruction has gone for some time now. It's obfuscation, lies, deception, this whole web of deceit uh, that the Biden crime family has uh, kind of spun. I think Joe Biden's the black widow in the middle of all this. Um, Even the National Archives, there are some emails that exist out there that uh, show a direct relationship between Hunter Biden and his associates that pump some $20 million into these bank accounts and LLCs that the Biden crime family has set up over these years. Uh, and then Joe Biden as vice president is using a pseudonym. H- who uses a pseudonym unless someone's trying to hide something? And so unfortunately, the uh, two committees, Ways and Means and Judiciary, are having to now uh, get them on record to get them before committee and to get them under subpoena to tell the truth to the American people.
1: Well, we are deeply grateful for the work of all these committees and uh, you and yourself, your colleagues, for pushing uh, on these type of issues. If I can switch to to another topic, but still a topic regarding yet another subpoena, the uh, House Republicans on the Homeland Security Committee have a subpoena now for Secretary Mayorkas, and specifically they're seeking information about a program that allows citizens from Cuba, from Haiti, from Nicaragua and Venezuela— to enter the United States on a temporary basis. And, you know, all of this to me is just another example of the Biden administration's failures at the border. Why are we letting these people in from these countries? Well,
3: Jody, that's a very good question. With, I think with a wink and a nod before he even took the oath of office, uh, Joe Biden welcomed these illegal aliens, 5.8 million illegal aliens into our sovereign nation. Why are they doing this? Well, it's to build his voter base down down the road, the the voter base for the Democrats. Uh, They want to do this in an illegal fashion. Look, Republicans, conservatives, we want legal immigrants here to contribute to the fabric of our great nation. But we want it done legally. And cheating the immigration system like uh, Mayorkas has done, uh, saying that there's no crisis on the border, uh, that is a lie to the American people. It's a lie to Congress. Merrick Garland, I I truly believe, has perjured himself on several occasions before Congress. He is a bigger liar than Pinocchio, and it's time that somebody put a stop to it and removed him from office.
1: Well, it looks like that may be underway. I mean, there's a lot of movement behind his impeachment um, uh, movement toward, toward that end. Uh, but, you know, it just, it forces someone to scratch their head when you have, I mean, we know the borders are so porous, but when you have countries like Cuba and Haiti and Nicaragua and Venezuela, countries that are so opposed to the values here in America, it just is disturbing to think what those individuals really are coming here for and the and the reasons before that. Before I run out of time, Congressman, let me uh, uh, hit one more news item for you and get your reaction to this. We've been covering a lot as a lot of different individuals have over the devastation in Maui. President Biden finally took time to visit the devastation there yesterday. And quite frankly, the reaction from both those in Hawaii, as well as those watching uh, from afar here in the mainland, basically felt as though he would have been better off had he stayed away. I mean, he had a bizarre exaggeration about losing his house in a fire, It looked like he fell asleep during a speech, and then immediately he goes back on vacation. Uh, So, you know, does it seem like he went there just to kind of check this off the box to say, I went there? Or uh, What are are your thoughts?
3: Jody, I wish I could figure this president out. I don't even think he knows where he is or what day it is half the time. Do you remember back during and after Katrina? the uh how the media eviscerated uh President George W Bush for his what they considered a lack of a proper response to the tragedy that was happening in Katrina yet he was in a helicopter with a FEMA director flying over the damage and and actively trying to be there and connect with people as he did after the fall of the Twin Towers on 9-11. Joe Biden does not connect with people that way he uses his own stories to try to do that they're feeble he is a failing flailing, feckless leader, and to spend half your vacation, uh, half your time on vacation on the beach in Delaware, and then to mosey on over uh, to Hawaii and Maui is no excuse. Had I been president of the United States, I would have been there on the main island within a day's time with my FEMA director, making sure that the eyes and the hearts of America were there with the people of Hawaii. That's what he should have done.
1: That's what he should have done, and you would think that's what a real, uh, any president would have done in a situation like this. But last week, he had no comment when asked about it. In fact, there were many who were present yesterday holding up signs saying no comment and go home, Joe. I mean, it really seemed to be uh, I, I, he had to go, but it seems as though he had this as just a check off the box to say he went and to uh, act as though he really cares.
3: Well, I think it's gotten to the point now. Unfortunately, I think we are seeing um, the degradation of a human mind right before our very eyes. If you look back at videotape and speeches from even a year ago, you can see uh, how far his decline has gone. Uh, Without a pocket card telling him what to say each time, no comments, probably the best thing he can come up with.
1: Well, no pocket card necessary for you, Congressman Offord. It's (laughs) always an honor to have you on the program You always bring us the latest as to what's happening there in D.C. and do it with great eloquence in every way. And we are deeply appreciative of all the great work that you and your colleagues are doing. Keep it up.
3: Well, thank you, Jody. And and please, as we pray for Tony's dad, keep praying for us in Congress. We have tough work to do in the next couple of months.
1: You sure do. And we will keep those uh, each of you in our prayers thank you so much thank you all right friends after the break a federal court has reversed the block on an alabama law meant to protect children from permanent lifelong damage to their bodies stay tuned attorney general from alabama joins me
4: Welcome back to Washington Watch.
1: I'm your host, Jody Heiss. An honor to be with you this afternoon. Yesterday, a federal court allowed the state of Alabama to begin enforcing a ban on performing permanent so-called gender transition surgeries on minors. A three-judge panel of the Atlanta-based 11th U.S. Circuit uh, Court of Appeals sided with the state of Alabama over objections from a group of transgender minors and their parents who argued that the state law violated the 14th Amendment. Well, the three-judge panel repeatedly cited the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in its Dobbs case from last year, with the court finding that there was no deeply rooted right to the use of medications in the nation's history. Well, joining me now by phone to discuss this big news is Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall, Attorney General Marshall, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you, sir.
5: Thank you, Jody, and I appreciate you highlighting this issue.
1: Well, it's a big issue. It's a big deal. This is a huge victory, obviously, for the state of Alabama, but this is a a big victory for children and for the country as a whole. Let's begin by giving us the legal reasoning, the underpinning, if you will, of this 11th uh, Court of Appeals, the 11th Circuit's decision.
5: You know, Judy, I think you highlighted one of the important things, which is this really is an extension of what the Supreme Court recognized in Dobbs, and that is that state legislatures have the opportunity to be able to weigh in on medical issues involving their state. Clearly, the 11th Circuit opinion said there's no substantive right for parents to be able to choose experimental treatment for their children. And when we saw the Alabama legislature, along with now significant other states around our country doing the same thing, weighing in to say that we're not going to allow a failed European experiment be used against our kids in our respective states. We think this is not only a tremendous victory for the rule of law, but most importantly in being able to protect children who can receive critical care absent these experimental treatments.
1: Well, it really is huge, and and that's why we wanted to highlight it here. This, you know, it's amazing to me, Attorney General, how news like this is swept under the rug by so much of the mainstream media, but it is groundbreaking decisions. This is a huge victory for children and parents in our country across the board. And you have organizations like the SPLC and the Human Rights Campaign, these type organizations are representing. The plaintiffs in this case. Uh, But what does this decision mean on a practical level for specifically for Alabama, but even beyond?
5: Yeah, Joe, let's not forget the Department of Justice has weighed in again. And this is, you know, again, part of the Biden's radical transgender movement that they have pushed during this administration. But, you know, for Alabama kids, what it means is that we're going to ensure that they're not receiving medications the FDA has not approved for the purpose in which it's being offered right now. It's going to allow for there to be viable and alternative means to be able to treat gender dysphoria that doesn't create the same risk that they would have currently with the experimental treatment that's being used. But also outside of Alabama itself, we've got hearings coming up involving uh, laws in Kentucky and Tennessee. We have an Arkansas law that is uh, currently pending. We have Indiana who has their law that's being challenged and being heard in courts here soon and so the 11th Circuit speaking in this case just as we had recently the Sixth Circuit as well I think is sending a very strong message to states around the country that you have the ability and the authority to weigh in on this issue and you need to weigh in on behalf of the children that you're trying to protect
1: well and it, it amplifies the power and the importance of states to push back on some of these horrible things uh, that are happening from the federal government and the push for this. You mentioned multiple states just uh, moments ago who were involved in this type of thing. So my question is, where is all this leading? Do you think at some point with all these various states passing laws to protect children, is it inevitable that one of these eventually is going to go to the Supreme Court?
5: I think it's clear that that is an option, particularly if there remains uh, a circuit split. But one thing, Jody, that I think I'm excited about for Alabama is that we're going to have an opportunity to really be able to expose the lies around the international organizations that have propounded this type of treatment that Europe has rejected as should be the standard of care in our country. And so we look forward to continuing the work that we're doing in our litigation, proud of the team that we put together because when you have organizations like WPATH that are masquerading as scientific organizations that are truly advocacy organizations for the transgender movement, uh, then we have the opportunity now to put that under the crucible of litigation and make people swear under oath and to be able to expose what Europe already knows and to be able to reveal that in our country that this is not the direction we need to be going with health care.
1: And this is not something just Europe knows. I mean, any any reasonable person understands this is a this is bad policy it's bad idea It's bad science it is not health care it is on every way it's irreversible to these children uh and it's just stunning that we even are finding ourselves in the middle of this debate one thing that is happening across the country is a lot of pushback when individuals like you states like alabama stand up for children's rights are you now? Or do you expect pushback against this law?
5: Oh, I think clearly we've seen it before and we're going to continue to see it when you have groups like ACLU SPLC and others that uh, really advance uh, an argument that, that frankly is not grounded in true science and, and at least appropriate science. But I think really, the other thing that, that hopefully is going to come from this is parents having the opportunity to truly understand what this is about because parents depend on doctors they depend on physicians to give them good advice the more we can expose the fallacy of what's going on here and in fact the real danger that children are exposed to then we are going to give parents the opportunity to make good decisions as well
1: yeah and it's stunning how so many different places are trying to push parents out of even having a decision in this beginning in schools different places across the country And Listen, it takes tremendous courage for individuals like you, leaders like you, to stand up at moments like this in our country. And so I just want to extend to you, Attorney General Steve Marshall, a huge thank you for all that you've done. And may uh, just the good hand of God be upon you as you go forward.
5: We appreciate it, and we're going to continue that fight.
1: I know you will. Thank you for joining us. All right, friends, coming up next here on Washington Watch, a California public library silences a female athlete for misgendering. I guarantee you, you don't want to miss the story that you're about to hear on the other side of this break. So so stay tuned. We'll be right back in a
5: moment.
4: Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion.
6: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Jody Heiss, your host this evening on Washington Watch. Hope you've had a fantastic Tuesday, and thank you for joining us. All right, there was an event to discuss protecting women's sport at a Davis, California public library, and it was shut down Sunday after library officials accused the first speaker of violating California law by misgendering male athletes who were competing in women's sports. They later accused this speaker of being disruptive. Here's that exchange.
7: I need to know why I'm being told to leave. Can you tell me why? I was a speaker. I was a speaker at this meeting. I
3: will
7: I will leave the building if you can tell me why I need to leave the building.
1: Wow. Well the woman who was being told to leave the event in spite of the fact that she was the speaker at the event is Sophia Laurie. She is a former collegiate soccer player who now serves as an outreach coordinator for the California Family Council, and she is also very dear to us here at FRC, having been a former intern here with us. Well, She joins me now from California to discuss all of this. Sophia, welcome to Washington Watch. Great to see you again.
7: Great to see you. Thank you for having me here.
1: Well, it's our pleasure. And listen, thank you for your courageous leadership and your standing strong. We appreciate all that you're doing. Uh, Listen, let's let's just begin with the the whole event. We heard the clip. We saw the clip. Uh, There were others there. There's a lot of noise in the kerfuffle of it all. Uh, But tell us about the event and what happened.
7: Well, Moms for Liberty of Yolo County here in um, Northern California was just hosting a forum on fair and safe sports for girls. The whole goal was just to let those in the community be aware of how women and girls are being put in unfair and unsafe situations in sports. And I was the MC and the first speaker. And within about a minute of me speaking, the event was shut down.
1: Wow. Well, listen, There's. Uh, let me just tell you, Sophia, there are certain times where these things happen and they confirm that you're on the right side of an issue. When you consider uh, the audience and those who shut you down, you know you are pushing in the right direction. Uh, but without getting into all the particulars of the California law, this was clearly a violation of the First Amendment, uh, which, of course, the First Amendment is federal law, which trumps any state law. Uh, And I I think it was one of your colleagues there or another speaker who actually went up to the podium and made clear that you were there and you had the right to free speech and the audience was free to leave if they wanted to. But of course, that message didn't uh, fit well with the agenda of the library officials. Uh, What do you think was the rationale behind them shutting it down?
7: Well, like you said, there really was no rationale because they were violating my First Amendment right. They claimed I was misgendering someone by stating men should not be in girls' sports, and yet no one should be punished for stating a biological fact.
1: Yeah, I mean, how is that misgendering? I mean, even uh, even with you saying so, I mean, it's as obvious as night and day, But uh, you were in California, so things, uh, night and day, is a little bit different out there. Uh, Listen, I want to tell you, you really handled yourself well. Uh, You handled the situation well. It was a very hostile crowd, and you stood firm, and you stood uh, extremely poised. And I, I want you to know, Sophia, here on Washington Watch, you are allowed to call men men. You are allowed to call women women so you were shut down why don't you give us a summary of what you would have shared had you been allowed to continue speaking
7: i was simply just there to share my own story i wasn't talking about other people i wasn't giving anything in regards to the law i was simply there to state that when i was 10 years old all i wanted to be was a college soccer player and i achieved that goal at 18 i was able to play college soccer all four years and that my heart is broken, that current girls today can't achieve this same goal because men are taking their spots on the teams. Yet my story was apparently controversial and was, again, shut down. Wow. So
1: what do you? where is this all going to go from here? Do you know is there going to be any action taken against the library?
7: Well, we're currently looking into our best option because government officials should not be able to remove my freedom of speech so we're taking those next steps as well as i just want the story to get out there because i don't want any other girl to experience what i had to go through at that library
1: well that's great to hear because both of what you just mentioned both points need to be taken uh protection of your story and other women but also to stand up when people Uh, disregard and disrespect your first amendment rights we have to stand up against this stuff and uh, again thank you for doing so do you think anyone at the library there even recognizes their mistake were they more concerned about just not letting you speak Uh, do they realize that they really trampled your first amendment rights
7: Well, I can't speak on behalf of what they're thinking now. We haven't seen any statements or comments from them. But I can speak on the fact that they evidently thought that your First Amendment right disappears when you have differences in your ideologies. And so I want to make sure that the whole world knows that, and here in America, our opinions do not make us silent.
1: Sophia, Lori, thank you so much for standing strong, standing tall and for representing the California Family Council, representing so many millions across America. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you. All
4: right,
1: friends, coming up, George Barna will join me with some practical advice for parents and grandparents on raising their children to be disciples for Christ. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
6: Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
0: FRC celebrating 40 years with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
6: Wishing everybody at Family Research Council a happy 40th anniversary. As a church, it's our joy to partner with such a great ministry like yours. You're on the front line of fighting for faith, family, and freedom. So thank you, Tony Perkins, all the staff and all the volunteers at Family Research Council, and happy 40th anniversary.
1: And thank you, Pastor Gary Hamrick, for your leadership and your kind words. Friends, listen, I, there is not much that's more important as a Christian citizen than to learn how to effectively engage Christian principles in our culture, and that begins with our families. It, it goes beyond to uh, our, our friends, our neighbors, our, where we work, and beyond And we are partnering with you to help accomplish that goal, to teach all all of us how to be more effective. And we want to invite you to come join us September 15th through 17th in Washington, D.C. for this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. It, of course, is our 40th year of standing for faith, family, and freedom. But, friends, we're at a crossroad in our country, and now we need men and women to stand in the gap and to make a difference. So we encourage you to come join us. Registration is now open. We're less than a month away. Please visit PrayVoteStand.org for details and to register. And We look forward to seeing you there. All right, let me begin by this statement. If we do not get it right with young children, the chances are good we will never see those people mature into real disciples of Jesus. That provocative quotation is from an upcoming book called Raising Spiritual Champions. It's by George Barna. The book's subtitle is Discipling America's Children. Uh, That subtitle, Alyssa, that works as a great slogan for what we here at Washington Watch and Family Research Center consider to be of utmost importance. The book identifies why it's important for Christian parents to raise their children with biblical worldviews but it also outlines some key strategies of how to do so effectively. What a needed book. Joining me now to discuss this is George Barna, who is the Senior Research Fellow for the Center of Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council. George, welcome back to the program. Great to see you.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me. It's good to see you, too.
1: Well, listen, let's uh, you you share in the book really a a reversal of thought, if I can put it that way, where you had a a light bulb went off and you recognized the importance of reaching children. Uh, Tell us about that experience.
2: You know, that that was about 25 years ago or so, I believe, that uh, when I still owned the Barna Research Group, I've since sold it. But uh, at that time, we were looking for another research project to do that we could present to pastors of churches around the country, helping them to understand what was going on in the culture, what was important in ministry, different practices that were and were not working both within the culture and within churches. And we were going to do four a uh, national seminar with four different sessions during the course of the day. We needed a fourth session. We'd figured out the other three sessions. We've been doing these kind of uh, national seminars For years, so we'd already blown through most of the popular topics, and we were just looking for that final topic. And one of my colleagues in the Barna Group said, um, you know, we should do something about ministry to children. And I I don't remember if I exactly laughed at her, but certainly internally I was. What a stupid idea. We're going to talk to pastors. We're going to be with adults. We're going to be talking about serious stuff. We're gonna be talking about the future of the church, how to transform the culture, all these kind of things. Why would we waste an hour and a half talking about children? And uh, the, the the team around the table, we, we batted that back and forth. I went away and thought about the different options that we put on the table for the fourth session. And as I started thinking and praying about it and doing a little bit of research, I thought, yeah, we better, uh, we'll, we'll take this on. Seems like it might be a good complement to what else we were doing. But I'll tell you what, over the next 18 months, as we did all the research, proceeding going out on the road to do the seminar and present what we found in the research, I I was completely blown away. I realized for the first time that up to that point in my life, and I was probably, I don't know, early to mid thirties at that point, I had bought into the myth, the lie, if you will, that effective ministry is all about focusing on adults. Now, I'll tell you in the 25 years since then that we started doing that research and I've been building on that for the last quarter century, one of the things that I've discovered is that adults basically don't change. Now, the Holy Spirit can change anybody at any time. I don't, I'm not questioning that. Don't doubt that. I've seen that. I get it. But I'm a sociologist and a researcher and I deal with averages. And I'll tell you that on average, adults do not change unless they encounter a major crisis in their life. It's completely different with children. Children are in a period of their life where they're trying to figure out how does life work? What matters? Who am I? Why am I here? All kinds of very fundamental questions that once they answer those questions, they retain the answers for the rest of their lives and they build on those as foundation stones. And so being able to effectively minister to children is absolutely critical to seeing them not only come to Christ, but to becoming disciples of Jesus. I would make a sharp distinction between those two. Part of the problem in the church in America is that we've got tens of millions of people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their savior, but they haven't really committed their life to being Christ-like, to serving Christ, to knowing him more deeply, to, to living every moment of every day to bring him honor and glory. And so this book, Raising Spiritual Champions, is all about the research that we've been doing. And we did this in conjunction with Family Research Council. I'm so proud and happy about that. Uh, you know, to discover, yeah, what is the situation today? What's working today when it comes to raising children to be spiritual champions? Not only as their parents, but maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're a a sports team coach. Maybe there's something else that you're doing that allows you to interact with children, teaching or whatever it may be. All of us have interaction with children. But what we discovered in the research is very few adults spend any time at all thinking about, much less planning for, their interactions with children and what they can do to bring them closer and closer and closer to Christ.
1: That's an amazing story, George, how you got to this point and that you, you've got incredible data to back it up. Uh, how, how is a child's worldview developed and what age does that happen? You say adults don't change. When can all that uh, development take place in a child?
2: Yeah, you know, essentially we found that there are four different worldview phases that people go through. And the most important of those is the first phase And it starts when somebody is 15 to 18 months of age, not years of age, 15 to 18 months of age. And that worldview development phase is essentially completed by the time they reach the age of 13. Now, during the teens and 20s, up to the mid-20s, sometimes later 20s, what we find is that people take that worldview that young children develop as the foundation for their life Why does a worldview matter? Because it's the decision-making filter that every single person has. Every decision that you make, every decision I make, every decision everybody who's with us today ever makes is made on the basis of their worldview. And so their worldview is their uh, intellectual, their emotional, their moral and spiritual filter that helps them to understand how things work, what's right, what's proper, what's appropriate, how they're going to navigate life. And so that is put in place by the age of 13. You can begin to understand why at 15 to 18 months of age a worldview begins to form. It's because kids at that age are making decisions. They're making choices about, you know, when to cry, when to hit, when to spit, You know, when to crawl away, when to obey, all those kinds of things. And it gets more and more sophisticated as the child ages. Well, by the age of 13, most of the major things that anybody is going to face in life, we have already had to think about. So it's during those teen and 20s, uh, years of the 20s, that we take that foundation and we try to refine it we try to figure out how to articulate it are there ways we need to reshape it how do we integrate it into everything that we do into who we see ourselves our personal identity and then by the time we reach our late 20s early 30s on up through our 60s that's when we become evangelists some people are shocked when they hear i say everybody's an evangelist in america but what we're trying to do is to evangelize other people to think the same way we do. We want them to embrace our worldview, see the world the way that we see it, respond to situations the way that we respond, make the same decisions that we would make in given situations. And then we found that from the late 60s on is a time of reflection where Americans tend to sit back and review what happened during the course of their life. Did they make the right decisions? Did they have the right foundation from which to make those decisions? Are there changes they should make now in their waning years? Are there things that they should share with their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, their neighbors, their friends, about the things that they have learned related to worldview? Because worldview is the centerpiece of your life. It determines every choice you make and therefore who you are.
1: Absolutely fascinating. You you have also found that many born-again church joined believers, really, they're not teaching a biblical worldview to their children. And so what's happening to them instead?
2: Well, essentially what's happened is we've developed a, a, a kind of a new model of parenting, which I describe as outsourcing. And, you know, we're familiar with that in the business world, but it's really invaded the parenting world as well where because we love our children and we want them to have the best experiences and outcomes, what we begin to do is look for people who can do the best job in different dimensions of our children's lives. And so we'll look for the best teachers, the best coaches, all of these kind of people who we can hire or cajole into spending a lot of time with our kids to give them whatever kind of training and development and experiences that they may need. But what's happened as a result of that outsourcing model is that parents have stepped back and they've handed over the worldview development process to all of these outsourced experts, the professionals, the ones who allegedly have better experiences, better processes than we do as parents. So many parents told us, you know, I really don't think I'm a very good parent. Uh, You know, I think I'm doing the best job I can. And, you know, you can't fault me for that. But what we discovered is that most parents have no plan for what they're going to do to raise their children up. Uh, uh, Less than 10 percent of them have any kind of a spiritual plan, spiritual development plan for their children. And that includes worldview development. And then when you look at the parents themselves, what we know is that only 2 percent of parents in America today actually have a biblical worldview. You can't give what you don't have. So we're in a situation where we've got a lot of parents who are winging it. They love their kids. They're trying to buy expertise, but they're allowing those experts to develop the worldview of their children along with the media. Uh, We did find that the media has the greatest impact on worldview of anything else.
1: All right, George, we've only got about a couple of minutes left here. So let's uh, bring this up to some practical applications. What are some strategies that parents can use to disciple their children?
2: Well, first thing is to get in your mind that your primary job in life is to raise your children to know, love, and serve God with all their heart, mind, strength, and soul. That is one of the things that you will be judged upon. That is your primary task here on earth, just as it's your primary task, my primary task, to know, love, and serve God with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul and so i need to make sure that my children are pursuing that as well if i have that in my mind then i realize okay i've got to have a plan for how i'm going to do this we found that parents that had a spiritual and worldview development plan are much more effective at raising spiritual champions those who are consistent with their children over the course of of the 15 to 20 years they have their children they're much more effective building deep relationships with their children, which means investing a lot of time, but when you're doing it, not always telling them what to do or to think, but spending time listening to what the child is saying so that you can respond appropriately, knowing where you want to take them, hearing where they're at, and then bringing them forward to a different place and making sure that the Bible is the foundation of your conversations. We found that these conversations have to take place around real world events, tell stories, get examples from your children of what they're going through in life and relate biblical principles to those stories but do it not by beating them over the head with God's Word but by asking them questions about what they believe why they believe it what they did why they did it asking if they're familiar with different biblical principles do they think that might have worked in the situation those kind of conversations are so critical but none of it will take root, we discovered, unless you as a parent model that in your own life. That's part of that consistency element, which was so critical.
1: George, congratulations on another terrific book. Uh, we've only got 15 seconds or so. Uh, where,
2: when will it be released and how can people get it? Labor Day is release date. So we're just a couple weeks away from that. And it'll be available through Amazon.com. That's the place to go to get it. You can pre-order it now. You can wait till it comes out. Uh, And they can also get it at the event, uh, you know, in D.C. Got to let it go there. George Barna, Thank thank you so much for joining
1: us. Terrific information. All right, friends, that wraps up this edition. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Washington Watch.